Hey guys, what's up? Hope you guys are having a great day today and welcome back for another episode of the Matthew Spazzitti program where we talk about financial freedom and economics and we talk about a whole host of other things. You know, basically whatever I want to talk about, but most of the time it's financial freedom, economics, politics, stuff of that nature. But this week I wanted to do a, a quick update and just let you guys know that I think I can't remember if I said it in last week's episode or 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 maybe it was later in this episode or whatnot but at some point in time I'm pretty sure I told you guys that this week was going to be pretty normal that I'm going to be producing two different podcast episodes you know like I normally do every week unfortunately you know that's not going to happen this week this week was pretty busy and stuff got a little just just stuff scheduling issues and a lot of stuff happened you know with taking care of my daughter and and anyways a whole lot of uh, personal life stuff happened and you know everything's good everything's fine nothing to worry about but I'm only going to get a chance to do one episode this week. I got a lot of really great stuff coming next week and whatnot. I got another really great episode that I'm still in the midst of editing. I just wasn't able to finish it for the for this week. And, you know, if, for those of you guys who are joining me, I typically try to post some, at least two episodes every single week, and I usually, I record them early in the week, and I edit them and post them to, on the weekend. Usually Saturday, Sunday, sometimes even Friday, but most of the time it's Saturday or Sunday, and, and whatnot. So I didn't really want it to, to flood over into Monday, because then that's going to ruin, <laughs> effectively, me recording the other episodes and, and, and whatnot. So uh, there's only going to be one episode this week, and it's basically describing what the heck happened to me and my family last week, you know, give you my insights on what happened if you guys are in Texas, or if, you're, if you've been keeping up with the, the news and whatnot, you know that uh, a blizzard basically hit the American Midwest and southern states like Texas and Oklahoma, and while many of the other states actually did fairly well and didn't have a whole lot of complications, Texas had a massive power grid failure which put a lot of people out of electricity for several days on end. And sometimes it was not just electricity, it was also water at the same time. This caused a lot of pipes to burst, a lot of water pressure to be low, and it was just, it was absolutely horrendous. It was genuinely a true crisis if you lived in Texas. So that said, you know, thankfully my wife and I, we didn't have anywhere near the same kind of trouble as as many other people did. You know... We were fearful of the storm being bad. We had heard of blackouts happening. And, you know, we got a one-year-old, so we didn't really want to stay in the house. We were concerned about staying. I actually thought that that a lot of the concern was probably not justified. You know, a lot of times they say, oh, yeah, a big storm's going to happen. And sometimes it's not really a big storm. So when I first heard about it, I'm like, yeah, you know, it's probably fine, whatever. I mean, this is Texas. So I was kind of in disbelief. But as we started getting closer and closer and closer, my wife was getting more and more nervous. And we kept talking about it. I was like, okay you know what, I really don't know what's going to happen. She was concerned that the storm was going to hit and that we would lose power and my daughter would be extremely cold. And she was thinking, you know, if it was just me and her, we could tough it out, right? But because it wasn't just me and her and, you know, now when we got our little girl, it was just one of those things where it's like we didn't want to risk it. So So before the storm even hit, we decided to drip the lines you know, for those of you who don't live in cold environments, you know, you want to drip your faucets. You don't want like a huge drip. I mean, you, you can have like a tiny, tiny little stream or or literally a drip. And you just, you want to do that. You want to keep the water flowing to prevent the pipes from bursting. And you, you especially want to do this if you have pipes that are running into you know, any kind of exterior wall and whatnot. Now, for us, our pipes are actually in our attic. I discovered that over this whole big ordeal. So our our pipes are up there in the attic. So it doesn't really matter whether it's exterior or interior. We just have to drip the lines on all of them. So that's what we did. We were actually debating about turning off the water to the house and then emptying out the, the hot water heater. But we decided against that 
as that would have taken a much longer period of time and we just really wanted to get going and, and get over to my wife's uh, parents' house. So we decided to drip the lines and we set, we, we set the uh, the temperature. We set it low, I mean like about 68 or so. And then we, we packed up our two dogs, you know, my, my daughter, my wife. We, we all packed up and we went over to her parents' house and we stayed there for a couple of days. So we went over there probably, oh gosh, I want to say it was... Saturday? Yeah, we went over there on Saturday and we ended up staying until Tuesday. So while we were over there on Saturday, we didn't start seeing any kind of power outage problems you know, literally until Monday. Now, I had a way of, of keeping track of whether the house actually had power. I didn't actually know that it was going to work out this way, but I have an alarm system like a lot of people do, right? Well, every time the alarm system goes out, I get a notification. You know, every time it goes offline due to power outage or anything, I get a notification. And when it turns on, I get a notification of that too. So because the actual power system or because the actual alarm system has a battery backup, like, I don't know, for, if you guys are familiar with alarm systems, these are all pretty standard things. So I got, but I have the app on my phone, so I have the ability to receive these messages. And I, so I actually got a a play by play uh, look at to as when my house had electricity and when it didn't, which was actually very, very helpful. Well, I didn't start getting any kind of notifications probably, okay, so I say Monday. I think it was really more Sunday night where we, where I started seeing the power going off and on, like the rolling blackouts actually occur. And at first, it was anywhere between 30 to 45 minutes in length. And then, so it would go off and then it would turn back on within 30 or 45 minutes and then it would go off again and so on and so forth. And, you know, when it went off, it would be off for 30, 45, 30 to 45 minutes as well. And as to how much time, like I said, it kind of varied a little bit here and there. And that pretty much stayed fairly standard up until Monday. And on Monday, we had some intervals that were like an hour in length, which was much nicer than 30 to 45 minutes. But then, uh, you know, on Tuesday, that that length actually extended. You know, we had had power almost for like four or five hours. And that's when we decided to go home. It's like, look, we've had power for a while. Maybe the blackouts are done. I don't know. The weather is not passed yet. We got to wait till at least Saturday, but let's go ahead and go back. But, you know, even before we did that, okay, when we were at my in-laws house, when we went to my in-laws house, their power turned off literally uh, around 9 a.m. on Monday. It was 9 or 10 a.m. on Monday, and theirs didn't come back on until, gosh, 12 or 1 a.m. that the next day. It was absolutely insane. So my we had no idea when the power was going to go off or where it was going to turn back on. So my wife, my mother-in-law, they were kind of get you know, they were they were getting nervous. They didn't know, you know, when it would all turn back on again. So they decided to go to my sister-in-law's house, which is actually fairly close by, so that my my one-year-old would have uh, would be warm. You know, my one-year-old was really cold. She wasn't taking naps. You know, she just was really really you know whiny and crying all day long. Oh man, it was it was awful. And then to make matters even better, we had to drive over there in the snow. Yeah, a lot of people don't like driving in the snow. I actually don't mind it so much. You know, I know that if you go slow, you try not to torque the car, you're you're gonna be okay most of the time. For me personally, I really don't mind driving in the snow. In fact, I find it a little fun when the when the car slips around a little bit. I find it a little enjoyable. Granted, I I don't like it when there are cars next to me. <laughs> you know, then I get a little worried. But still, I mean, I don't mind driving on the snow or ice for that matter. So you know, we went ahead and we 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 
drove, we dropped me and my father-in-law, we dropped my mother-in-law and my, my wife and my daughter off at my sister-in-law's house. And then me and my father-in-law went back to their house so that we could monitor the pipes and everything. We ended up staying there all day for the rest of the day and for the rest of the evening. And we actually had to end up sleeping in this house with no electricity, with no heat. And when the power did come back on, it was like an hour on, hour off type of thing. It wasn't like, you know, oh, it's on for indefinitely. Now, they maintained water pressure throughout this entire event. Whereas, you know, when we got back to my house, what we realized is when the power had gone off, we had no water pressure. We had water, but it was like a tiny little trickle. Not You can't really do anything with that. So, you know, at least they had water pressure and that was good. But yeah, no, I ended up sleeping in their house. Now, the reason we went to my in-law's house was because they have fireplaces. They've got a gas fireplace and they also have a wood burning fireplace. That was why we went. You see, in my house, we don't have a fireplace. So, and our house is pretty much powered by everything is electric, like in most homes are. I mean, even if you have a, a gas furnace for your heater, okay, there's still an electric fan that blows the heat and distributes the heat throughout the rest of the home. So even if you can turn your, your furnace on and get it hot, it, that heat is not going to be distributed throughout the rest of the home. Yeah, maybe it might help to some extent. I don't know. But I know that you still have to have some kind of a fan to blow the heat and distribute it to the rest of the house. So a lot of people are like, oh, well, I have a heated a gas furnace. It's like, yeah, that, that doesn't really help a lot because it still doesn't distribute the heat. You know, most heaters, at least in Texas, most of the, heat, the furnaces are actually in the attic. They're not actually uh, underground. See, some northern homes, their furnace might be in their basement or somewhere else to where hot air rises. That might work for you. I, I have no idea. But at least in Texas, that's how it is. So, you know... It was just absolutely an insane, insane, insane situation. So uh, on Tuesday, you know, my dad and I, we or my father-in-law and I, you know, we survived the night, Monday night, and we woke up and we decided that I wanted to go check on the house, right? We had been away from the home several days. Tons of people are reporting pipes bursting, all kinds of water damage. It got me nervous. I know we dripped the lines. I know we had had consistent power off and on, but still consistent power nonetheless. So I decided, heck, I want to go and I want to go check the house just to make sure. And my wife very much wanted me to do this as well. So me and my father-in-law, we actually decided to drive out there. The roads were actually not that bad at this point because, you know, there had been a lot of people driving on the roads. It had been two days since the snow had fallen. So there were some you know, dicey areas, but the highways were pretty much clear. The roads were pretty clear and everything. And in actuality, the roads were actually the very reason that my wife and I wanted to, to go to my in-laws house because we were worried that if we had lost power, we live about an hour away from my in-laws. And, you know, we were worried that if we had lost power and the roads are really bad, we wouldn't be able to get to them. And if there, and we don't really live next to a, a lot of hotels or other places that you could go. So again, there was that problem, which is why we decided to go head to my in-laws before we even knew what actually, how the storm was going to play out. So, you know, with that, that said, you know, on Tuesday, my dad, my father-in-law, we decided to drive up to my house and check everything out. We, we, we got up there. It didn't take us nearly as long as we thought it was going to. And the house ended up looking pretty good overall. There wasn't any damage that we could see. There were some pipes that were, for whatever reason, some faucets that were not actually dripping like when, like we had left them. We weren't really sure what that was, but the pipes did not appear to be frozen or anything of the sort. So we weren't really sure what was going on. And you know, one of the toilets didn't flush while the other one did. So again, it's like, you know, I have no idea. We had pa literally had power at that point for like, oh gosh, I want to say th 
three, four, and maybe it was only like a, a I want to say three, four hours at that point. We had power for a decent amount of time. And by the time my father-in-law and I went back, we had just, I had decided, you know what? I want to get my wife, my daughter, and I want to come back. You know, we've had power for a long time. You know, maybe the rolling blackouts are done and we can finally just get back to a sense of normalcy. We've been, our family had been uprooted because of all of this stuff. It was just, it was a nightmare. I couldn't work. I couldn't record anything. I didn't have consistent power in order to do so. You know, my wife, she couldn't work work. We had to try to take care of my daughter. My daughter is very good at sleeping when she's at her own house, when she's home and she's in her own nursery and her own her, her own crib and everything. Not so much when she's anywhere else. She doesn't sleep that well in other homes and stuff like that. So as a result of that, we're just, you know, we, we were just trying to make it, you know, she wasn't sleeping that great. We weren't getting a lot of sleep and we're like, oh gosh, I mean, it's not as bad as when she was an, a newborn, but it was still, it's like, oh my gosh, ah, I want my sleep back. I want the power back. I want everything back. It was awful. Well, anyways, so that said, I, I take my, I get my wife, I pick her up, I get, I pick up my daughter, we actually, we leave the dogs at the in-laws house because we don't want to bother trying to take them. Might as well just leave them where they are. They're happy. They're fine. They'll, they'll be, they'll be good. So we, we, and this way we could take one car because my wife did not feel confident driving on ice or on the, you know, ice slash snow. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I go get my family. We drive all the way up to my house again. And now my wife had told me earlier that day that there was a gas shortage. So she was afraid there'd be a lot of people who'd be, you know, try, who'd be, you know, rushing to the gas stations and stuff. But when I drove up there earlier in the day, I was like, yeah, I don't see any, any evidence to suggest that the line, there aren't lines at the gas stations or anything of the sort. There was a normal amount of people at most of the places I saw. I didn't see any reason to be worried. So I didn't think anything of it. However, there were more and more reports of gas shortages on Nextdoor. Uh, we, we use Nextdoor quite a bit to, to monitor the situation in our area. And so when, when my wife and I got home, we decided, okay, why don't you go try to get some fuel right now before it gets really, really bad? So I was like, okay. I spent an hour driving around on the snow and ice, which I had been doing all day. You know, I'd been literally doing that all day already, just going back and forth between the house and then to pick up my wife and, and my daughter and they come back. Oh gosh. I spent an hour looking for gas. Couldn't find it. Couldn't find a drop. Fi- I found two gas stations that appeared to have gas, but the lines were so dang long. It just wasn't even worth it. it just, I was like, it's not worth my time waiting. So then I'm like, okay, that's cool. But I'm out here. Why don't I go and I grab a bite to eat? And I, you know, I go grab something to eat and then I bring it home, right? Why don't I do that? That would be nice. Yeah, couldn't do that either. So literally, I, I was an idiot when I dropped my wife and I off. I kept all of our stuff in the car, thinking that it wasn't going to take me very long. My wife couldn't put my daughter down because of all the stuff, you know, that she needed was in the car with me. And I'm like, oh man, this was just a stupid, stupid idea, you know. So I spent an hour driving around at night on the ice slash snow, which I don't mind driving, but at night, you know, I don't, I don't hate it, but still it's not something I'd prefer to do. So anyways, all that said, it was a nightmare. So I got back home. My wife is upset. Okay. After an hour of not being able to find gas or food, because most of the, the restaurants in the area were closed down and those that were had really long lines. So I had to come back empty handed. I felt like a failure. 
an absolute failure. Came back home. My wife was upset. I was like, oh, no, 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 now what? What's wrong now? And she was uh, saying that, well, we're under a boil notice. I'm like, what the heck is a boil notice? The water has been, well, actually, so we weren't officially under a boil notice, but many other people were, so she started to boil the water. So a boil notice, for those of you who don't know, is a notice that basically states that the water, we think the water is unsafe, there's low water pressure, a lot of the water is just kind of hanging out in the pipes, it's not really, we don't have quite the water pressure that we're used to, there could be bacteria in the water that's that's bad for people to consume, it could, it could make people sick, so we're telling people, you know, you need to boil water, and you can, and you should not consume any water, whether through drinking, whether through washing your hands, whether through taking showers, none of that, you shouldn't do any of that, Unless it's with boiled water. Yeah. Uh, Look, I'm 32, okay? If you guys are older than me, then maybe you've lived through times where you've had to boil water before for everything. It's annoying. (laughs) We got into a routine once we started doing it, but man, was it annoying. And yes, we eventually did, uh, I think the next day, we eventually found ourselves under an official boil notice from our water company and whatnot. And then on top of all that, we all, when we got back home, we also realized that when the power turned off, the water pressure turned down way, way down to the point where it was unusable. So if the power was off, you couldn't flush toilets, you couldn't get any, very little water came out of the sink. So you kind of had to wait until the power turned back on. Now, luckily it was always in intervals, right? And when we got back home, we had power let's see, on Tuesday, and later on that morning, like, I think 1 a.m. that morning, we eventually started seeing uh, the power go turn off and on about every hour or so, and and it was like that pretty much until, you know, Wednesday evening, about Wednesday night, and then things started to improve. Once, you know, once we hit Wednesday night, we had had power, literally, you know, we maintained power pretty much for the rest of the week at that point, but it was already at, you know, nighttime, and and the day was virtually over, and that is when, and I believe I I recorded the, that pre-episode, or, or, you know, that update on what was going on the week, I think I recorded that on Thursday, I can't remember, I want to say it was that, I'm pretty sure it was on Thursday that I recorded that episode. And yeah, so it was, it was absolutely insane. It was insane. And and so, and the boil notice didn't really go away until Saturday, at which point I had all, I had already gotten gas as well. I found a a 7-Eleven nearby my house and I was able to get fuel then that that was on Friday. So that was great. And uh, now you're, you're all caught up. We are on, we are Monday, the following week. And that was the insanity that that week was just absolutely insanity. If you were to drive around today, no, you wouldn't see any snow. Everything's clear. You would have had no idea that anything happened except for what people are saying. There were massive amounts of people who had their uh, second story, like bathrooms, you know, overflow and, and, you know, water, water pipes ended up bursting. And now their, their, their bathroom is caving in on the first floor and everything. It's just a lot of terrible stuff. 
there were a lot of people who were very, very less fortunate than, than we were. So, you know, you guys are probably wondering at this point, you know, what exactly happened? So you heard what happened to me and my family, right? But you haven't really heard of what happened to Texas and what caused such a massive power grid failure and all the blackouts and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, at this point, many of you have probably read articles on it and whatnot. But if you haven't, I'm just going to go ahead and do a quick run through of all the stuff that I've been able to find in my research of what the freak, what the frack happened, right? Right? So first and foremost, before we really get into this, we need to talk about the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, or better known as ERCOT, which is a nonprofit company that manages the state electricity grid and whatnot. So, okay, so first and foremost, ERCOT is, like I said, it's a nonprofit company, but they manage the electrical grid in Texas. They are, in effect, a monopoly. They don't have competition, right? They manage and try to manage an entire, a very, very complex thing like the electrical grid in all of Texas. They're the only company that manages it. They manage the electrical grid. They manage the capacity and the supply of electricity in effect, as, as far as I'm aware. And again, I'm, I don't claim to be an expert on this issue, but they're a monopoly. We all know what happens with monopolies. They have no competition. They have no incentive to compete. They've got no incentive to keep up with the grid. There have been many people for a long time that have been complaining that the grid needs to be upgraded. The grid has not been really winterized. That's pretty common. And actually, we'll get into that here in just a minute. But the grid, a lot of people have been crit criticizing the state for not upgrading the grid because so many new people, new Im uh, domestic immigrants is what I like to call them. You know, they're moving from California, from New York, from all, all, all around the, the country. They're all moving to Texas because of Texas's business-friendly environment. And as a result of that, we're getting a mass increase, an exponential increase in population, and yet we're not upgrading the grid. Now, okay, but you've got one company who manages the state electrical grid. So it's one of those things where it may be, ERCOT may be a free, a, a, a quote-unquote private company, but frankly, if they're the only ones that have the ability to manage the grid and the grid isn't like chopped up and managed by lots of different companies, which is what I think, I think you should deregulate it. I think you should let them compete in order to control multiple areas and to decentralize it as much as possible. Don't just have you know, ERCOT manage the entire thing. That's a recipe for disaster, right? They, they've been allowed, they haven't been upgrading the grid. They haven't been maintenancing and keeping up with the grid. You know, they just haven't been doing that good stuff. They have no incentive. They have no competition. So give them competition. Say you no longer have access and control over the entire grid anymore. We're going to start decentralizing. We're going to start deregulating. We're going to put other companies, uh, you know, and give them the ability to compete to have control over different parts of the grid. That would be better than just this one company. Look, if you have monopolies, they have no competition. They have no incentive to keep up. But anyways, with that stated, you know, so what effectively happened is ERCOT was... The way, when when it actually, ERCOT does reports with regards to how much energy they have on hand and all this kind of stuff, and they had, you know, a lot of uh, reserves on hand, according to them. However, a lot of those reserves, from what I understand, and I could be wrong with this, but from what I've heard, a lot of those reserves were actually of green energy, okay? Now, 
a lot of right-wing Republicans are coming out and saying that, uh, you know, Texas has been converting a certain percentage of its energy production to green energy, and more notably has been converting a lot of that to wind turbines, right? But the wind turbines are very unreliable in very, very poor weather conditions, well, like this icy storm. And so, and a lot of people are blaming it on just that one. That's what they're fixated on. I'll be honest, I'm not saying it wasn't a factor. It was a factor, but the truth is, is that it was so much more than just that. So, so, so much more. First and foremost, wind turbines, you can have de-icing technology that is included on the wind turbines in order to prevent them from freezing. Uh, North Dakota actually has this. North Dakota has de-icing technology on their wind turbines, on their wind farms, in order to prevent, or at least make them less susceptible to freezing. Look, humanity can take all the precautions necessary to prepare against Mother Nature and the, and what Mother Nature can throw at them, but in the end, if the environment decides to throw enough at us as humans, there's nothing we can do. So we can do stuff like put de-icing technology on wind turbines. Well, first and foremost, this storm was, some people are saying it's like a hundred year storm. It like never happens. It's so freaking rare. And that's really the question that a lot of people are asking ourselves. How much do we winterize? Because winterizing, I guess we'll go ahead and transition into this. Winterizing was the main reason that we had so many problems, okay? ERCOT didn't manage things well. That That's probably true. They're a monopoly. You know, no surprise there. But we're not winterized, right? We're not prepared for super cold winter blizzard weather for very long. Texas simply doesn't have that. So what effectively happened is that the grid started to show signs of weakness and ERCOT made the decision to shut down energy certain sections of the grid because ERCOT was claiming that if it didn't do this, it we would have had very serious damage done to the grid that would have taken months to recover. So you know, is that true? I don't know. Sounds plausible to me, but I don't understand much about the power grid and stuff of that nature, but that's what ERCOT's claiming. And what ended up happening was you had a massive number of power plants and a massive number of energy producers. Their their power plants effectively froze and broke due to freezing. I think it was estimated that 42% from the power generators, 42% was because of the freeze, was because the freeze was responsible. And there was also like a lack of fuel and equipment damage unrelated to weather also contributed as well. But and then then apparently, uh, according to this article from usnews.com, they were saying 38% of the plant outages for the problem really remains unclear. But 42% of the power outages of the, the downed generators was because of the winter freeze. And on top of that, I believe that 20% of the of Texas's electricity is produced by wind turbines. And because the wind turbines were not winterized and they weren't prepared, the wind turbines effectively stopped turning and we lost almost all all of that electricity like very very a very few small number of wind turbines i think were actually going so unfortunately what that created was a drop in like almost 20 percent of electricity to the power grid as well now i don't know if that 20 percent was included in the 42 percent that was because of freezing it probably was but i'm not really sure i mean in that article it said 42 percent was because of the freeze and then 38 percent was due to unknown reasons uh, apparently so there were some other power generators that were also cut off because they were being prepped for this the, the increase in demand for the summer rather ironically 
so the freeze is ultimately what did it. The freeze caused lots of power companies and power generators uh, to go out. And I don't mean like home generators. I mean like power plants, right? So I think it was about a little more than half of this of Texas's electricity production is basically from natural gas, okay? And a lot of that gas went offline due to the power, due to the winter freeze. You know, according to a Bloomberg article, compressors which typically push gas into pipelines were too cold to function, and that's if they had power at all. Also, there were shale fields, uh, shale oil fields that were shut down due to the electric, the, the electricity. So, you know, what happened is that ERCOT's power capacity basically plummeted on Sunday and Monday by nearly 40% to just under 44,000 megawatts, leaving wide swaths of the state in the dark. And again, that was a direct quote from the Bloomberg article as well. Probably should have said that before. Some of, A lot of this information I'm actually getting from Bloomberg. I thought that Bloomberg did a, a pretty good job at writing about and listing a lot of the issues. They also go on to say that deregulation caused some issues as well. You know, I, that was largely not something that the, the deregulation was not really causing the problems. The, the problem was, was you had this uncontrollable storm that came in and caused a lot of power generators, a lot of power plants to basically fail, which then subsequently caused the available electricity on the grid to plummet and, and just fall. You had like shale oil fields that couldn't that couldn't produce oil. You had natural gas uh, power plants and facilities that couldn't pump, you know, the natural gas, the electricity that was required to do that. The pumps just wouldn't work. You also had cold power plants. The way cold power plants work, you see the coal fire generators need to heat water into steam to spin their turbines, but the water at some plants wasn't insulated from the elements and ultimately began freezing. And, you know, that, and most people tend to see coal plants as being much more reliable under these under circumstances but again a lack of winterization was was a big 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 cause of a lot of the stuff that happened even in nuclear power nu- nuclear power typically doesn't have their problems but there was also according to this bloomberg article some nuclear power plants reactors had feed water pumps that leading to reactors in south texas and they tripped causing one of the two reactors to shut down so ultimately look there's a lot of stuff that Bloomberg isn't covering here too. But on top of that, you know, not only did the winter the winter storm come in, knock out a lot of power plants, knock it knocked out big portions of the grid. A lot of the utilities, you know, divert uh, uh, prioritized homes and hospitals. So they diverted a lot of power to homes and hospitals, which unfortunately left oil fields, some oil fields unable to thaw frozen equipment. Actually, according to the Bloomberg article, there was one guy that says, as one executive of a big independent shale producer said, it was a death spiral. There was no gas to produce power and no power to produce the gas. And again, that that was another issue with with regards to the the gas power plants and things of that nature. But you you, you could kind of get the idea. So the winter storm came in, knocked out a bunch of power to the grid, knocked out a bunch of power plants. You know, regardless of how they were producing the power, it knocked out a bunch of them. That caused a massive drop in the electrical capacity that ERCOT had available. So then, you know, certain utilities decided to prioritize homes and hospitals. You know, leaving oil fields. So 
they couldn't even produce the oil. They couldn't even produce the necessary resources needed to continue the energy production and whatnot. So it, was just, it was a crazy, crazy situation. And on top of that, a lot of water companies, you know, their uh, water companies keep up with water pressure and the, the, the pumps that do that, I, I guess they're pumps, compressors, whatever, they pump water into the water pipes for the city. Well, you can't do that without electricity. So this caused water issues as well. You know, the water systems for the city ended up becoming very close to being susceptible to bacteria buildup because the water pressure was low and the water was just kind of sitting in the pipes and stuff. So this also caused a lot of water pressure problems and just, it it caused a whole mess and a massive, massive mess. A cascading effect, more like a, a domino effect that just one thing led to another and another. And before you know it, you know, tons of people were out of power. There were companies that, that shut down power. They intended to turn it back on. But when they got to that point, they, they couldn't turn it back on. There was no power to turn it back on. So it was it was an absolutely crazy, just absolute crazy, crazy bit. But ladies and gentlemen, again, you've got a lot of red flags here. Again, let's go back to the whole ERCOT situation. All right. ERCOT is a monopoly. They manage the the power grid for the entire state of Texas. You can't tell me that's a good thing. It's not a good thing. That needs to change. Yes, a lot of stuff that happened was uncontrollable. I mean, now granted, some of these power plants may not have been, been keeping up with being maintenanced and stuff. But again, a lot of these power companies and stuff, you, you can't, they, they're probably not, they're not monopolies. But there's a lot of regulation that goes into it that prevents other power companies from from coming up. You know, uh, we could have more nuclear power plants that would be hopefully a bit more resistant to some of this. Again, a lot of these power companies are massive power corporations, massive energy corporations. And while they may not have monopoly, n- monopolistic power, they I almost can guarantee you they've got pseudo-monopolistic power. There are lots of regulations that keep competition out of the market that keep more companies from coming to market, creating new power plants to provide even more energy for Texas and any other state that wants to buy it. You know, the other issue that I also heard that there was another issue here that uh, because Texas produces so much energy and the way that our grid is set up, we're not really connected to other states. So it made it very difficult for us to, you know, in effect, we couldn't just buy a lot of energy from other from other states and whatnot. But I mean, in this in this ice storm, I don't know how relevant that would have been because the ice storm hit all the states around us as well in any nearby vicinity to Texas. So I don't know how how relevant that really, how much that really would have helped. But, you know, as a result, you know, Texas doesn't necessarily have to adhere to the same rules that other states do because we're not really connected to the the, the, the federal, you know, national uh, electric grid or something of that nature. So so that was also a contributing factor. But I don't know how by how much really. But uh, look, ladies and gentlemen, you've got tons of regulation that goes in to energy production. Deregulate it deregulate it more, allow more companies to come in to produce this kind of stuff. If companies, you know, fail and, you know, they don't do a good job, they risk going under. Don't bail them out. Deregulate, get competition in there, force these electrical company, these electrical companies, you know, to keep up with their power plants a lot more. I mean, this is another issue too. If you're limiting competition, you, these companies may not have monopolies. Maybe it's more of a, an oligopoly where 
there are a couple really, really big players and then maybe some smaller players after that. But in the end, ladies and gentlemen, you know, you've got these, you know, you got these massive corporations that don't have a lot of competition. What does that do? It's a reduction in service. It's a reduction in the quality of the product or service that they are offering. You know, it could, if it's not, if it's not increasing prices, it's going because of subsidization or because of whatever reason, it's going to result in a reduction of quality and service. So what does that mean? It means a lot of energy companies aren't keeping up with their power plants. They're not keeping up with producing energy. And this is a problem. So deregulate it. Make these power co- these big power corporations, you know, make them face more competition. That'll make them stay on their toes a lot more with competition biting at their heels. That'll make them manage and maintenance and upgrade their power plant to be a lot, take it a lot more seriously. But when they're too big to fail due to government regulations, allowing them to become as large as they are, it causes problems. Same thing with ERCOT. ERCOT is, like I said, a monopoly. They effectively manage the power grid for the entire state. You don't think it's going to have problems? Look, ladies and gentlemen, we here as libertarians, as free market, let's say as fair individuals, if you subscribe to Austrian economics like I do, then we know what the results are when you give companies monopolistic power or pseudo-monopolistic power where they don't have to adhere to competition. They get lazy. They have no fear of failure. Sure, maybe some managers are going to fail. Sure, maybe, you know, the state's going to do a lot of investigations into the companies. But this is what happens. These are red flags when you start to see this kind of stuff. You have companies that don't care about whether or not how good their service is because guess what? They have no competitors or they have very few. They've got no challengers biting at their heels. They got no competition. What have we said on the show many, many, many times? If you really want to hurt a big corporation, deregulate their market and make them compete. Big corporations can't do it. They're too big. They're too inefficient. They can't move fast enough. They're this big, lumbering, huge boulder of a company. Can't move. It's like comparing the Titanic to a speedboat. That's what it's like. The bigger you get, the slower you are. And that's effectively what happens when you allow corporations to have monopolistic or pseudo-monopolistic control of their markets. That's what happens. They lack competition. They become bloated. Inefficiencies start to crop up very similar to what you would see in a government, right? What is a government? What is a corporation? Let's unpack this a bit. All a a corporation is, it's an organization of people trying to achieve a goal. We're all working together to achieve a goal. And in a corporation, it's to make money. What's a government? A government is the same freaking thing, right? They are an organization of people who are all coming together for a particular purpose. Sometimes it's to make money. Sometimes it's to gain power. But they're an organization of people just like a big corporation, just like any corporation is. In many ways, you can think of the government as being a corporation that is involved in making money and getting power, but is a monopoly because it has no competitors. You can easily think of it that way. The government is a corporation. 
without any competition. So ladies and gentlemen, you know, if you wanted to seriously hurt a big corporation, deregulate the market, get some competition in there. They won't, they will either cut down to a fraction of the size that they are, or they will die. Assuming that the government doesn't bail them out and continues to keep them alive through money printing and all that kind of garbage. Which is largely what happens. Many, there are many, 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 many companies, big corporations that exist today that are what many economists would call zombie companies, okay? These are companies that don't make any money, but they are completely subsidized by the government, by the investors on the stock market, which the investors in most cases are actually governments that are printing money and buying up their stocks or buying up their bonds via a proxy, which is usually via some kind of investment firm that they're giving the money to to do this, to engage in this. And this is largely what they do. They keep the company alive to save the jobs. This company will even go out and make purchases and acquire smaller companies, acquire their competition, and then mothball their competition. Maybe they'll take the technology that that competition was using. They'll go out there, they'll buy them up, and uh, yeah, less competition on their end. Is it any wonder that small companies are becoming less and less and less, and bigger corporations are still hanging around? They're being subsidized by the government, whether that's through the stock market, the bond market, doesn't matter. Whether that's through regulatory burden, that's on the entire industry as a whole, it doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is is that these corporations are keep being kept alive, sometimes even be, are, get, are being given direct money from taxpayers to stay alive, and they're buying up competition and killing off competitors. Ladies and gentlemen, this is how comp- corporations get bigger and bigger and bigger. Let's start tying it back to Texas and the power grid. When it comes to ERCOT, they don't have competitors. And what you get from monopolies or pseudo-monopolies that are supported by government, okay? A free market monopoly is not going to be this way. Free market monopoly, which we've never really truly had a free market, but a free market monopoly will give you the highest quality product for the cheapest price. But they will only be able to keep that up for for so long before a competitor comes in and is able to offer a better quality product for an even cheaper price, right? But a government-enabled-slash-sponsored monopoly or pseudo-monopoly is different. They don't have to offer a better product. Of course, that's not what they're going to say. They're going to say, oh, we're offering this wonderful product. This Our product that we're giving you is great. It's the best out there. Is it really? No, in most cases, it sucks. In most cases, they're offering you a lower-quality product for a higher price. And even if the price isn't higher, even if the price is subsidized to, ke- to so that they can keep it low, the quality sucks. They don't manage it well. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what happens when you have monopolies. They start to, they could charge whatever they want. But even again, even if they start charging less money, maybe they're being subsidized enough to where they can charge less money. Even if that's the case, the quality of the product typically gets less and less and less. Sometimes the quality of the product goes up, but also the price does as well. You know, there's a whole host of different bad negative side effects that can occur when a company has such massive control over its its market. So ladies and gentlemen, look, there's a lot of other factors in there, Okay. But it's never a good thing when a company has a government-enabled and supported 
monopoly or pseudo-monopoly. Bad stuff happens. They don't keep up with their system. They don't keep up with upgrading their system, like with the power grid. They have no incentive to, although I know that they're probably saying that they're trying, but they're, they're, they're probably saying, oh, I just, we're trying to upgrade the grid as best we can, but we just, we just can't keep up. Too many people are moving here. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what happens when you, when, when you have pseudo-monopolies, when you have monopolies of any, of any kind. This is what happens. And it sucks. And it's bad. And we should, and I don't know what you can really do about it. I mean, honestly, so now that we've identified the problem and we, we've identified what's really been going on and what caused the problem at its very core, at least, what do you do about it, right? You're a liberty-loving individual. You're libertarian, you're conservative, whatever. You love liberty, you love freedom, you don't, and you, you're, you just want to protect your family. Right? So you just want to protect yourself and your families, right? So what do you do? Well, the best thing you can do is to not fully rely on that very system which is corrupt and which is ultimately doomed to failure at some point in time in the future. So there are many things that you can do. You, you can get a backup power generator. Okay, you could do that. Solar panels in this instance, uh, w w they could be great, but unfortunately because of the snow, they were next to useless. You know, most of the... the so... In Texas, at least, when people put solar panels on their house, they're not, they don't have a lot of land to, to just, you know, build a solar panel farm. They got to put them on their rooftop. Well, the rooftop, unless you got a ladder and you're going to do that when it's like five degrees outside and there's snow on top of your, you know, your solar panels, you got to get up there. You got to get that, that snow off of that solar panels. And then, you know, typically when it's snowing, it's overcast. There's tons of clouds. The sun can't even peek out. So there's a whole question as to how effective are they even in that situation. They wouldn't be that effective. So solar panels really don't help that much. They're already a highly inefficient technology. They're getting a little better, but they're still very inefficient. And in situations like that, you don't have the right set of circumstances that would allow you to produce a lot of energy. Water turbines, if you live near a stream, again, those streams froze. You know, wind turbines, uh, just like Texas saw, and again, they probably did not purchase the heating element to prevent them from getting, uh, you know, bogged down and frozen. But again, if, if it was cold enough, and I'm not saying that it was in this case, but I would imagine if it was cold enough, that heating element wouldn't really fix the problem. It just makes you more resistant to it. But in the end, they may have frozen anyways, even with the heating element. But that, that aside, that's speculation. You can get the heating element with your wind turbines. They're incredibly expensive. And if they freeze up, you're done. Can't really do a whole lot. So again, what can you do? You know, a lot of the whole methods of renewable energy are, are kind of out the window. The best thing you can do, uh, you could get a power generator and one that can generate power for your entire house. Okay. That would be a natural gas power generator. Now there are other technologies that are out there that you could use, but they're not really mass adopted, you know, and I don't know of any company that's even doing it. You could do a, a, a fuel cell. You could do like a natural gas fuel cell that powers your whole home. That might actually work. I don't know. You know, I've heard at least the concept of people using that kind of technology sounds pretty cool. And you know, you don't have to just do a natural gas uh, fuel cell. The fuel cells can be powered with all kinds of different uh, energy sources, 
or resources. It just kind of depends on the type of fuel cell that you have. But anyways, that, that's neither here nor there. A whole house generator is probably your best bet, right? Uh, and if you don't have natural gas, you can always go with uh, propane. Propane would be an, another way of doing it. You could have a big propane tank. And if you're allowed to by your city or your state, you might even be able to store propane tanks, although that would be very flammable and you might have to have a license for that depending on where you live. I'm not sure, but you might be able to store some propane tanks with you on that end. You know, like for me and my family, if we had actually had a whole house power generator, we would have been perfectly fine. We could have turned on that power generator and kept it going for a long time. I'm not necessarily sure that we would have. I mean, but if my wife and I were, were stuck, we might have had no choice. Assuming that the power didn't just turn off and on, like I said, for us, our power was constantly turning off and on at a very consistent rate. And thanks to my, uh, thanks to my home alarm system app, I was able to actually keep tabs on that. But there's not a whole lot you can do. I mean, unless you become your own individual power grid, that's probably the best thing that you could do. You know, I just don't know if technology is where it is, where you can easily produce your own energy. I mean, again, you could do propane, but, you know, th that's not a bad option. You know, the propane tanks are not really going to be affected much by hot or cold weather. And even cold weather might actually be a benefit to the propane, the propane tank and stuff of that nature. But so, you know, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of questions and, a, and I don't have a lot of knowledge in those things, but in those areas. But for me, if I was going to plan for something like this again, and mind you, this was a storm, a wintry blizzard storm that literally they were saying it hasn't really been seen in Texas for like 35 years. So you also have to, you know, weigh the, the costs and the benefits. You know, are you going to go about planning for a disaster that doesn't happen very often? Are you really going to do that? I don't know. It's a question you've got to ask yourself. But the fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, is, you know, the, the wealthier you are, the, the more options you have. If you have enough money, you could get a whole house generator, right? You know, and granted, there are still risks with that. What if you can't, if you have a natural gas line with your city, what if natural gas is in short supply and you can't get access to it? You know, so there are risks there could run out of natural gas. You could run out of propane. You know, you, if you, if you got a, a whole house generator that has a propane tank on it, you know, that's not a propane tank that you can simply just go to the, the your freaking Home Depot or Lowe's and get refilled. You're going to have to have a specialty company come out. And if the roads are bad, that ain't happening. So unless you were intelligent enough and assuming that you could, these propane tanks might be massive. You may not be able to store extra propane. You might not be able to do that. But the wealthier you are, the more options you have available to you, right? Let's assume you've got a gas line going through your neighborhood and you have a whole house generator, okay? Let's assume that you have enough money to be able to have a whole house generator and you've got gas lines that are going into it. Well, it, maybe you can get access to gas, the natural gas, but maybe the price skyrockets. Well, if you're wealthy enough, you could pay whatever you need to pay in order to keep electricity on. Maybe... You look at the whole totality of circumstances and you say, screw this, I'm getting out of here. I'm, hook, I'm, I'm hitting up a flight and I'm leaving. That's what happened with Ted Cruz. Senator Ted Cruz, and I don't begrudge the guy for doing this. A lot of people got really angry because he had options and he decided to take his kids uh, somewhere down south. 
further down than Texas. I, I don't remember where exactly, but he, he took his kids closer to the equator where it was warm. He stayed at a nice resort. You see, he saw what was coming down the line and he said, no, 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 no. Now, we're, we're not doing this. I'm taking my, we're not going to live without the discomfort of not having electricity, of not having water. We're going to go somewhere that does and we'll, we'll deal with the issues that come later. They up and left. Yeah, a lot of people, you know, scoff at the idea of leaving your home country, of leaving in the event that something goes bad because they can't imagine ever leaving. It's where they grew up. I understand that. I do. However, when times are dire, you start to be willing to open your eyes to the possibility of things that you would not have considered earlier. The pain has grown too great to the point that you are willing to throw away such burdens as I don't want to leave my home country. I can't tell you how many times that I talk to people in my life, loved ones, friends, family members, who they love, they're, they're conservative, they agree with you about the problems, they don't always agree with their, with their solutions, because sometimes they claim they're conservative, when in reality they don't see how they're, they're really not as conservative as they claim that they are. But when you bring up the very notion that the system is broken, and it can't really truly be fixed, won't ever get fixed, and that you need to start considering leaving, they start to clam up. They start to turn their brain off. They're like, nah, you know, I'm just going to move somewhere else in this country. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. They think they have to be super wealthy. They think that they just don't want to leave. Why is that? I think a lot of it's because they they work for, um, in most cases, they work for somebody else. And they don't want to go through the, the, the pain and the process of building something for themselves. So they are forever dependent on other people for their livelihoods. And that seriously reduces your options. So look, ladies and gentlemen, I, if, I'm hoping if you're listening to the show that you're not one of those individuals that never ever wants to leave the country and you won't even consider that as an option. I really hope that's not you. But just know this. If you never want to leave and you're perfectly satisfied working for somebody else for the rest of your life, just know that when bad things happen to you, because you of your lack of action, your lack of ambition, you have nobody else to blame but yourself. You could have started a business. You could have tried to make more money. And while it's no guarantee that you'll be able to avoid painful circumstances that come your way, uh, look at me. I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying. I got a podcast. I'm, I'm working on my trading, but I'm not financially free yet. I don't have, I'm not making enough money to take over my wife's income. And we were told, and while we, we planned as much as we could for the situation, we still had to deal with it. You know, we were blessed enough by God, however, to effectively not have those problems. We were highly blessed. We were protected, right? And sometimes you need to understand that no matter what you do, it's never going to be enough. But that doesn't mean you don't try. Especially when, I'm going to get a bit religious here, but especially when God opens your eyes to a problem that's coming down the pipeline, especially when that's the case, whether you believe in God or not, when you are granted knowledge of something bad coming down the pipeline and you choose not to prepare for it, that's on you. No one else. 
that's on you. You had the, the, the ability. Look, there's lots of stuff coming down the pipeline with regards to our economy. Automation's coming down the pipeline, right? It's going to kill a massive amount of jobs. Now, it's probably going to end up creating more jobs, you know, more jobs that maintenance the automation, more jobs that create the automation, stuff of that nature. I mean, it's kind of like the cotton gin, right? When the cotton gin was created, you no longer needed all the people to go out there and get the cotton and rip it off of the plants and, and kind and, and make sure that you you pull off all the cotton, you separate the seeds or however however it's done, right? You no longer need that. You've got a machine that does it for you. So on the surface, it seems like oh crap, hey I got I, I don't have these jobs are going away. However, over time, because it reduced the price for cotton. It increased the demand for cotton and thereby created more jobs in distributing the cotton and working on machines and a whole host of other things. More jobs were created than were actually lost. See, uh, Henry Hazlitt talks about this all a lot in his book, Economics in One Lesson. His most popular book, at least as far as I'm aware, I think that's his most popular one. He describes this and it's important that we all need to understand it. Automation's coming down the line. It will probably benefit the country as a whole so long as regulators don't get involved, which of course they more than likely will, but it will probably benefit everybody as a whole more than it hurts. But here's the, here, here's the issue. There are still going to be people that it's going to hurt. Are, if those people see what's coming down the line and they decide to rely on unions, dig their head in the sand, their problems are their fault. Self-inflicted, in fact. They could have retrained their skill set. Oh, yeah, I know it's hard. I know you're busy. You don't have a lot of time. Last thing you want to do is come home from hard days work in the factory and come home and try to build a new skill, build a, get a new job going, right? I get it. I get it. My full-time job isn't even doing this show. My full-time job is taking care of my daughter throughout the day so that my wife can work and produce and provide us a living. I, 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 I'm strapped for time. I really struggle. I struggle with managing my time, admittedly. I am, I, I'm not perfect in that area, but I, I struggle with my time. I struggle with having enough time to do everything. I mean, I, a lot of times, a lot of the trading stuff that I have aspirations for goes on the back burner so that I can continue to produce this show and take care of my daughter. Now, I still try to get some back testing done throughout the week, but it, it, I'm, not that bad, I'm not that great at it, but I'm still working on it, right? I get it. When you got a full-time job doing something else, it's hard. It really is hard doing anything else. I would love nothing more right now than to to make to be able to take over all the the financial obligations for my family. I would love to be able to become the primary financial provider for my family and to give my wife the opportunity to be stay-at-home mom. I know she really wants to do that. I would love to be able to do that. It kills me. It makes me depressed knowing that I can't. You know, you, you guys come here and you listen to me and sometimes, I, I don't know, I try to be as transparent as off as much as I can, right? I, I try to be very, very transparent with you guys. But in the end, you just, you don't see my life. You don't see every aspect of it. I, I struggle sometimes with depression in that sense because I want so much more than what I'm able to do. Do you think I, I let that stop me? No, I continue to push forward. I continue to push forward regardless of the emotions that plague me at times. 
it's not like it, it it's not like I'm depressed all the time, but you know, I mean, sometimes I start thinking about it and it's like, man, I wish I had all day to work on this stuff. What could I do? What all the, I start thinking about all the things I could do if I had all day to do stuff. Unfortunately, I don't. But anyways, we're getting off topic. Look, if you have the ability to see something coming down the line and you choose to do nothing, then if you end up suffering as a result of your inaction, your lack of ambition, your lack of action, you've got no one else to blame but yourself. I, I don't feel sorry for you. Okay? Now, I'm not saying I don't empathize with you, but I don't feel sorry for you. In the end, your problems were created because you chose to do nothing. Even knowing the situation that was coming down the line. Now, assume, let's assume that you didn't know anything. Well, again, I have a hard time believing that you could be a person that doesn't know anything is coming down the line at all. But I suppose if you are in that boat, then still, it's still on you. Whether you know it or not, it's still on you. Your life is yours. You are the master of your fate and the captain of your soul. Your life is on you. You know, I was fortunate enough to get out of the situation, but if, if our electricity had been cut off for several days, I don't know what we would have done. There were a lot of people who were in that boat who were way worse off than my, my family and I. We found ways of surviving and we got through it. If we didn't have the support network that we have, I don't know what we would have done. And that's, I think, another one of the, the most important things, ladies and gentlemen, is, again, you could do all the work in the world and still be unpre- and still not be prepared enough. You know, that's why it's so important for you guys to have a support network, for you guys to know people in your local community that can help you and just with, with anything too. I mean, if you're interested in trading, get it, find a community of traders, maybe I'll create one. Granted, that's not an emergency situation, but in everything that you do, you need a community of individuals, a community to keep you accountable, a community that can help you. And in situations that are highly localized like this, you, you need a community. For me, I've got family that's nearby. I've got some friends that are nearby, right? I got my church I can go to, you know? So you, you need communities. They're incredibly important. You can't, we, we talked about this on the show before. You can't be a one man island. You're not going to be able to be a hundred percent independent. Look, we're trying to live the Liberty lifestyle here. What is the Liberty lifestyle? The Liberty lifestyle is where you control the vast majority of your life. You are as independent as possible. This comes with a lot of fun benefits and pros to it. No matter how free and independent you're, you are, you're never going to be fully independent to the point where you don't have to rely on anybody. I think in the Big Bang Theory, they said, uh, Amy said it best, you know, to Sheldon, until you find a way to upload your conscience to a satellite that orbits the earth, you're going to have to rely on other members of the human race. Kind of funny to think about that because even if the satellite did orbit the earth, I mean... I would still think there are things that he'd be still dependent on other other people, the human race for. I mean, if an asteroid hits you, you got to get repaired, assuming that, you know, space debris doesn't totally destroy you. So, you know, but still, you get the idea, though, right? It's just kind of more of a funny, funny quote, but you get the idea. You're never going to be able, you're never going to be fully dependent to where you don't need anyone's help. You're going to eventually need someone's help. So you need to get involved. You need to get, you need to get that community. 
You need to build that community. You need to have a support network in place. And and then you got to do your best to try not to be the person that needs the help and try to be the person that can lend a hand and be helpful. Like because of my family and I were in the boat that we were in, we ended up hopping to like, if you include my house, we hopped from my house to my in-laws and then my in-laws to my sister-in-law. And then we ended up hopping back to my house. We, we, we hopped four different houses because of electricity and heating and, and all that kind of stuff. And when we came back home, we almost decided the next day to go back to my in-laws house because my in-laws still had water pressure and we had lost it. And we weren't sure what the situation was going to look like. We were scared, but we ended up sticking it out and it ended up working out. Okay. Fuel, per, fuel eventually came back to the gas stations uh, some items at the grocery store are still, you can't find. So we're still waiting for that to work itself out. But in the end, the, the roads are clear and now, you know, the trucks are going to be able to get here and refuel and basically restock everything. But if I didn't have that support network, would have been bad. But because we did have like, we didn't have electricity all the time because we were trying to survive. I wasn't able to help out. I wasn't able to help out, you know, people that were in need. You don't think I felt guilty about that? I did. I wanted to help. I wasn't in the position to do it, frankly. So even if you don't care about being self-reliant to protect you or your family, do it so that you're not the one that needs help. Do it so that you can be the one that is able to help others. I don't know. I, I think that's worthwhile. I think that you being as independent as possible, you being as ready as possible for situations like this. I mean, what happens if the power grid goes down throughout the entire country? There's tons of people that speculate that that could easily happen because the power grids are not managed in a free market manner. They're managed by monopolies or pseudo monopolies, which means they're managed like crap. Okay. There's a lot of people that speculate about it happening throughout the entire country. What do you think would happen? You don't think riots would start? You don't think looting would happen? In Texas, no. People, it brought out the best of people. Crisis typically brings out the best and the worst of people. It brings out the best of of good people and the worst of bad people, right? But in this time of crisis, you saw people, and I'm sure crime happened, but you saw people, you know, helping each other. Doing, uh, you know, taking their four-wheel drive, big, tired cars and going and picking up people and taking them to shelters. You know, you saw people going and doing, uh, you know, errands for them, trying to get them you know, supplies that they needed. You saw people sell, you know, donating wood for their fireplaces, all kinds of stuff. People were, some people who had the ability, who had restaurants and who had access to food, plenty of food, more than what they needed for themselves. They were giving some of that out to people. It's really amazing to see that. It warmed my heart, really did. I'm happy that, that that so many people were so generous. We really need to strive to live that liberty lifestyle so that if nothing else, if nothing else, we can we can ultimately help other people that need it. So anyways, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to be it for today. Uh, you know, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. You know, that's pretty, <laughs> hope you guys enjoyed hearing about what happened to me and the misery that I had to go through. And Hey, if you were listening and you were in Texas, <laughs> I, I, I totally understand, you know, it, it's crazy. 
It's absolutely crazy. I'm really happy we're starting to see warmer warmer weather now. Although you know, I usually love it when it snows, and it kind of sucked this time around. It was it was re- it was not under the best of circumstances. But hey, we got through it, and I did get a chance to enjoy the snow. I took my daughter out when onto uh, a, our sled, and we have a hill in our backyard, so we sledded down the hill a little. It's just a tiny little hill, but you know, we took her out, and my wife sat on the the, the sled and got to you know ride the sled down with her in her lap and stuff. It was pretty funny. <laughs> My daughter tried to get up out of my wife's. My daughter tried to move around while she was on the sled, and ended up face planting in the snow. <laughs> it was awful. It was so funny. She like she got up and she just started screaming. Oh man. Anyways, we did have some moments where we got to really enjoy it. You know, after the power came on and we got water back and all that kind of stuff, we had moments that we got to enjoy. And I'm very grateful for that. So anyways, we are going to be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping you guys automatically know this week is going to be normal. I'm going to record another episode for the week and everything. And we'll get back to, uh, we'll back to get back to a sense of normalcy, which will be great. So ladies and gentlemen, hope you guys enjoyed my, my snow apocalypse as, as it's being called in, in Texas. You know, people are calling it the snow apocalypse. So I hope you guys enjoyed my story about how my family and I fared through the, the snow apocalypse and all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, yeah, just, uh, we got to work on being more independent. So I don't have, I'm not going to do any affiliate programs, not going to even pitch the support. If you want to support the show, you know, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes page. You guys can know where to go to support the show and that kind of stuff. If you want to do a donation, it's always much appreciated and whatnot. And next episode, we will talk about the Liberty Informant. I'm kind of thinking about not doing it anymore. It's uh, making it harder for me to, to do my trading. I might actually offer something with regards to trading if you guys want to see me do that kind of stuff. So we'll, we'll cross that bridge. We get to it right now. I'm still back testing my trading strategy so I might record some of that and give you guys some insights into that if you're interested you know go ahead and let me know email me at matthew at newmillenniumwealth.com I'll post the the email in the, in the show notes page so that you guys can go ahead and have quick access to me but anyways hey that's it for the show hope you guys are staying warm hope you guys are having a great week and you know hey uh, if you if you're liking the show you're liking what I'm doing here then make sure to go leave me a rating review on iTunes and make sure to like and subscribe and probably more important than everything and than anything else please make sure to share the show I know if you guys are loving this and you guys are liking this message you like me you like all the stuff I'm talking about then please make sure to share the show and that way I'm not the only guy who's out there sharing his his tiny little podcast and whatnot it, it, it looks nicer if I got other people helping me out sharing the show and stuff so I'm not so I don't look like I'm a schmuck going off and doing it on my own. So if you guys are liking what I'm doing here, then make sure to, you know, you know, help support me. If there's a lot of other ways you can support the show, you know, leave a rating review on iTunes, always as much appreciated. You know, share the show, always as much appreciated. And make sure to like and subscribe too. But also, again, I guess this is probably more importantly than all of those things. You know, make sure to come every, each and every week. Make sure to show up each and every week. We got a great show here. I try to prepare you guys and give you guys the necessary tools that you need in order to, to see what's coming down the line and whatnot. And so you can prepare you and your families. I'm trying to show you guys my journey of becoming financially free, hopefully to inspire you to go off and start your journey and you know also to help you with the pitfalls the, and all that kind of stuff. So if you want to know what's going to happen in the future, come and listen to the show today. So anyways... To do all that for me, ladies and gentlemen, I'll see you guys in the next episode. As always, know the risks, plan accordingly, and have a great day.